Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Darren Waller obviously hasn't panned out. Evan Neal, you know, we didn't even get to really talk about him. He's now on injured reserve. A second bad season. Do you have to move him inside? Uh, what do you have at wide receiver? You don't really have anything at this point. You've given up on, you know, Hodgins. You, you've kind of given up on Shepard, obviously. Like I noted, he he very well may retire. Uh, Jalen Hyatt in the last three games, I don't think is, he's had maybe, what, two targets? Didn't have any on Christmas Day. So what are you doing there? So, yeah, from a Saquon's perspective, it's like, do you really want to ride your career out this way? And I, I don't know that that's the case anymore. I firmly believed him. All the times he said he wanted to remain a giant for life. But this season, I think, has taken a toll on him mentally more than any other. And it's really going to have to be a look in the mirror moment. Like, do you want to commit yourself to this franchise further at this point? And I got to tell you, I wouldn't blame him if he didn't. Welcome to the Giants Wire podcast. It's great to have you with us. Ryan O'Leary here playing host, joined as always by the great Dan Benton. Dan, of course, is the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. It's the holiday season, and if you'd like to support us and the show, you could do so by leaving us a five-star five rating I'm sorry, and a short review. Also, subscribing on your favorite platform or telling a friend or family member to spread the word is always appreciated. Hey, Dan, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that great stuff. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Just uh, kind of enjoying the, the slowdown, as it were. Um, we're under two weeks to go now. Obviously, I wish all Giants fans and their families happy holidays. I hope everybody enjoyed their Christmas. Hope they all enjoy the new year coming up. Um, you know, I am sorry on behalf of the Giants that they kind of they kind of ruin it. They failed to deliver that Christmas miracle, even though it came down to the end. Yeah, it was uh, it was an entertaining ball game for sure, though. The Giants made it interesting. And boy, it got really interesting right around the start of the second half. Dan, you're a mean oh, one, Mr. Dayball. <laughs> Benching Tommy DeVito on Christmas Day at halftime. Uh, Dayball said postgame that he was just looking to spark the team. What do you think was the tipping point, Dan? Why did Dayball make this switch? What's, what's your leadoff thought on that? Well, listen, the Giants, they were struggling offensively. Um, they weren't pushing the ball down the field. Everything that, you know, DeVito had found success with earlier this season when he was, you know, on that three-game winning streak kind of, you know, kind of got washed away, but, we talked about it on the show. You kind of had to anticipate that, you know, he was an undrafted rookie quarterback. He was kind of having success against some mediocre to lower level defenses. You knew eventually when the film was out there and he came up against more aggressive sound defenses, things were going to change a little bit. And, and Dayball, there was, he had no leash whatsoever. He pulled the plug wildly quick. That's, that's all I could say about that decision. It was um, certainly unexpected. I texted you at the time that it happened. I'm like, I, didn't see that coming in a million years. No. Perhaps I should have, uh, but you know, I, I find it. I find it a little odd. I find the decision a little odd uh, for reasons that we discussed on the show previously. When they made the decision to go with Devito, we both agreed that you kind of got to stick with that. Tyrod Taylor always gave the Giants the better chance to win. We knew that. We acknowledged that he's a better quarterback, but didn't expect Dayball to completely slam them to the floor. No, no, that was very, very surprising. Uh, there was there was times, Dan, during the first half where I was 
talking to my TV screen, just being like, I'm just I'm kind of tired of watching this version of the offense with DeVito. You know, it's just frustrating at times. Uh, I particularly loved the uh, drive where the Giants went for it on what was it three separate fourth of ones, and all three times they yeah. just hammered yeah. Saquon right up the middle between the tackles. It's like yeah. the, by the third time I look at my wife and I'm like, I wonder what's coming here. And of course he gets dropped to the backfield because you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over. There's just you well, know. you do have to block guys. I mean, yeah, that is kind well, of that important. Helps too. Yeah, yeah that would help. It's kind of important. Ongoing theme with the Giants, uh, but yeah, I think what what's most interesting about the change at halftime, while it was almost kind of refreshing in real time, I was like, wow, Dable's making the switch to Tyra, like, with no injury? Wow, I did not see that coming. But it's just, you go back to what Dayball said when he was talking about DeVito and Tyrod came back. This is coming out of the bye week, right, Dan? When Tyrod was cleared, he could have been named the starter. They could have got him ready. And Dayball basically said, no, it's going to be DeVito. He's earned it. Quote, I'm not going to make a week-to-week change. <laughs> <laughs> unquote he's earned it. Daisy. yeah he's earned it it's not always going to be perfect but he's earned the opportunity to play so you're uh, to your point right we, we talked about it when he made those quotes made that decision that announcement we all know Tyrod's a better player you saw it when he came in right noticeably mm-hmm. better at the like just extending plays more sure of himself in the pocket actually getting hey, the football listen. downfield go ahead yeah, and I was going to say, and listen, that wasn't the best version of Tyrod Taylor by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he was he was rusty. He was missing guys. He he was he was kind of messing up left and right, and it was still markedly better than what we had seen out of Tommy DeVito. So, you know, the worst version of Tyrod Taylor was better than the best version of Tommy DeVito, and that's not a knock on DeVito. That's just the reality of the situation. That's not saying where Tommy DeVito can go in his career. It's just saying where he is in his career. So the whole notion from the very start, we never agreed with it. You know, DeVito did not give the Giants the better chance to win. Now we kind of came around on the Tommy DeVito train and it was fun. And, you know, he was capable and he certainly showed a lot more than we thought that he had in him, particularly when we saw him earlier in the season and the Giants weren't even letting him throw the football. But, you know, there was never an instance over that string where I was like, okay, Tommy DeVito is the better quarterback, but you know, they were winning at the time winning cures all. And I do kind of understand rolling with those punches and kind of riding that out, riding that, that positive wave. But the decision to pull him at halftime of a game where just a few days earlier, you said that he has earned the right to play. He's earned the right to start. He gives us the best chance to win. Uh, Now, really genuinely looks very dishonest it does it's uh and dan you've you've come on here multiple times and praised dayball and shane and the whole regime for being transparent and telling us how uh, you know how it is kind of and now it's like we're not going to make a week-to-week change in a week and a, ha- a game and a half later i should say <laughs> we're making the change it is it is wild but devito i mean if you're into the analytics i mean he was averaging i think it was 1.1 air yard per attempt uh, mm-hmm. And threw one pass more than five air yards in that first half. So it was just painful. It was just painful. Uh, and Tyrod came in and noticeably got the football down the field. Obviously, the big touchdown pass to Slayton was was the money ball, right? But he just he just came in and the ga- the 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 offense got more vertical, right? And it was just like, oh, thank God, you know, like let's play some football here. Let's attack a freaking defense that's coordinated by Matt Patricia right now and is struggling, right? It's a gettable Eagles defense. The, Giants weren't getting after him until the second half. So uh, it's crazy. But really, it's like under the Christmas tree for the Giants, Dan, they just need an entire new offense. 
We talked. Yeah. We were talking about that before yeah. we hit record. It's, it goes way further than the quarterback. It it extends all over the place. Uh, I had some thoughts uh, coming out of this game on Darren Waller. I really wanted to rip into him <laughs> on the show. I didn't realize that he might have been playing the last few snaps with a concussion. So I'm going to retract some of the stuff I had prepared for today, Dan. But it just feels like earlier in the game, if the ball's a little off target. Darren Waller often doesn't come up with the ball. You know what I mean? He's just been really but, underwhelming yeah. uh, this season. That's, go ahead. Go ahead. What do you think about that? I was just going to say that plague for all Giants receivers. It's not specific to Waller. It's been that way for years. It's funny because when you watch games around, you know, the league, like take the Minnesota Vikings. I I understand that Justin Jefferson is a, an elite wide receiver, like top of the top of the top of the class, but you know, you've got wide receivers in this league that make plays on balls that aren't perfectly accurate. And then you have the Giants where if it's not perfectly accurate, there's no chance that they're going to catch the ball. And even if it is perfectly accurate, there's still a strong chance they're going to drop the ball. So it's it's another disparity when you watch other games, you see with the Giants and, and their issues at receiver that extend well beyond this year. But certainly Darren Waller is not immune to those issues. And I know exactly what pass you're talking about that probably tipped off the start of this frustration and trust me i was equally frustrated with that drop as well it's just if it's a tick too high a tick behind it's like he's not going to catch it uh and we were excited about this trade when he came in we thought he was going to be a difference maker for the giants but really he's hasn't he been he's been cole Komet. if you look at the stats he's been cole Komet of the bears that's what darren waller's brought to the giants right same exact kind of impact yards per game catches all that uh you know i just I don't know. I've been underwhelmed. I know you have too. I think all Giants fans have been. It's just, uh, in, you know, I wanted to come on here and be like, what the hell happened on the last play of the game, right? Where the Giants are trying to get in the range to to score and, and possibly win the game. Or was it Ty? I can't, I can't remember the score now at the top of my head. But they're making that. They were eight back. Yeah. Okay, they're eight back. So they're trying to come to tie the game. And uh, there's 26 seconds on the clock when Waller makes this, you know, nice catch, picks up 20 yards, takes a hard hit on the play. Uh, now it was odd. It looked like Waller was a little disoriented. He 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 stood up. It looked like he was motioning to the sideline, Dan. So usually that player who catches the football and gets tackled would just stand up, run to the umpire with the ball, get the ball set, and here we go. Let's spike it, right? Waller was did seem disoriented. I put in my notes, "What's Waller doing?" But then you told me before he hit record, he might have had a concussion a few plays earlier. So totally going to retract that now. But what the hell happened on that final play regardless, Dan, before mm-hmm. the spike, right? I mean, you've got the referee the referee on the side there, on the sideline, picks up the football. He just holds it. Eventually, Saquon Barkley goes, what the hell are you doing? He rips the ball out of the ref's hands, then runs it to the umpire. And the Giants, after a ball is snapped with 26 seconds left, get a 20-yard gain and end up spiking it with what? One second left? Two seconds? One second? Yeah, whatever it was? Seconds, yeah. What a sequence. And, you know, we could come up with plenty of conspiracy theories about what was going on there, right? But the refs certainly weren't helping the Giants, especially that ref on the sideline. What the hell was he doing? Yeah, I just tracing it back, starting from the beginning, Waller, he was he had his bell rung. There's no doubt about it. The, the rumor is that he may have suffered a concussion. You know, the Giants haven't confirmed that. It could have been a back injury. We're recording this on Wednesday morning prior to practice which I think is just going to be a walkthrough anyway. Um, So it'll be a projected injury report um, today. Again, Wednesday, we'll find out later what that injury is. Uh, Dayball did acknowledge that there was an injury to Waller, but wouldn't, you know, wouldn't specify what it was. So 
in his mind, he's thinking as a veteran, even if he was concussed, it was actually kind of smart. Don't stay on the ground because if they're forced to call an injury timeout, there's going to be a 10-second runoff. Mm -hmm. So in his mind, he's saving seconds. But in the process of trying to save those seconds, it kind of caused some confusion because the Giants weren't substituting him. Uh, they, they were just keen on getting back to the line and spiking the ball. And then, as you noted, the problem with that was is the referee had no intent on getting that ball back to the line. To <laughs> what was he spike. doing? Whereas it, it's almost, and, and I hate to say because I hate to sound, sound conspiratorial, but it's almost like they were just trying to run out the clock so they get back to their families for Christmas or something because, you know, pinpoint another time that that's ever happened in the NFL where it's very clearly a spike scenario. And the referees not only are lollygagging to get back to the line, but not moving at all and just holding the ball on the <laughs> sideline. I, I've literally never seen it. Uh, kudos to Saquon for the heads-up move there. He's lucky he didn't get called for a delay game the way that that game was being umpired anyway. Um, he very well could have. You know, that's certainly not something that you're supposed to be doing in the NFL. You know, in normal circumstances, that would be a delay of game. But I, I imagine they couldn't penalize him since they were the ones delaying the game. So it, it was really strange, and it just kind of compounded an entire afternoon of completely asinine penalties, non-calls, mistakes, all of which were heavily one-sided. I mean, delay a game. I mean, let's talk about the end of the first half. Yeah, the delay a game bullcrap. Yeah, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff that happened in this ball game where it's like, what the hell is going on? So yeah, I can say you know, I'm we've never really talked about the refs on the show. I'm not going to start now, but yeah, there was. A lot of questionable stuff, Giants fans. There. Yeah, there was a really? lot of BS like, there in that game. And listen, I'll be the first to say the referees are not the reason the Giants lost that game, but the referees are a reason that the Giants sure. lost that game. Yep. And you know, they gave the Eagles three points, like you, you mentioned in in the first half, which <laughs> that was were ridiculous, completely unwarranted. Even you know the Fox rules analyst agreed that was completely unwarranted. Um, there was the the quote-unquote false start on on uh, John Michael Schmitz, which wasn't. And again, the rules experts and and former uh, league officials were like, no, that's that's not a penalty. There was the non-pass interference call on Saquon Barkley late in um, to end the game, where he was very clearly hit before the ball was touched. Uh, there was a pass interference a couple plays prior to that that didn't get called. It was. It was a very curiously one-sided game, and I'm not usually one to pour on the referees after a Giants loss unless it's warranted. Um, in this particular case, it's one of those games where it is warranted, and I guarantee, even though they won't make it public, the Giants will be, see, be receiving at least one, if not several, apology letters <laughs> from the NFL this, this week, admitting that the referees got it wrong. Yeah, it's almost like they want this, you know, the little the NFC East race or some of these games to just be a little bit, you know, they want them to be important all the way through. Yeah, you know, it the, seems the that problem way. with some of these things is they weren't bang bang issues. These were yeah. very clear, blatant, or not at all penalties in some cases, like the John Michael Schmitz penalty. Like I would love to have one of the referees explain that penalty to me. Explain it to me. How how in the world was that a false start? How was that last play not a pass interference? You know, how was the play a couple of plays prior to that, not a pass interference? How did the, re the the Eagles get in position to kick that field goal in the first half? Like, Well, it's they delay were a game, Dan. Just, delay a game. Yeah. Try to recover right. a ball that seemed like it came out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Just 
giving Jalen Hurts, letting him off for that boneheaded mental mistake yeah. is, is so frustrating. And yeah, it's maybe that's why Dayball benched DeVito. He just pissed about that play and he said, no, oh, no, Tyrod's going in, you know, but anyway. That's what I mean, though. These weren't like, these weren't like questionable, oh, you can debate on them kind of calls. They were blatantly incorrect. Blatantly. Yeah. And I think that everybody, with the exception of Philly fans, because they would never agree to it, but I think anybody, any outside observer, like remove me as a Giants writer from the equation. And I think everybody who has a basic understanding of the game would acknowledge that those calls were egregious, one-sided, and certainly factored into the outcome of the game. Absolutely. Uh, But, you know, another thing that factored in was Dallas Goddard slipping on a route and Adoree Jackson going the other way for a pick six. That was also, you know, a part of the game that helped the Giants stay close. It was a little fluky, but, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. It was... I, I do think the Eagles are a better team, but yeah, there was some questionable BS going on in that game, 100%. Uh, but I, you know, I hate but, to feed into that stuff, too, because yeah. you've got all this talk all the time about how the NFL is, is staged and all this stuff, and I'm always the first to tell you, no, that's not how it is, but when you give those people this kind of ammunition, it's only going to fuel that fire even more to suggest that th- this stuff is staged because – to the outside observer, it's like, how do you possibly get that so wrong? Mm-hmm. It kind of likens back to like, horror harkens back to like the old Sacramento Kings in the NBA game, the NBA days where they were totally screwed over by corrupt officials that were <laughs> betting on games. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, did these guys just want to get home for Christmas or do they have some money on the Eagles in this one? <laughs> yeah, there's nothing more sketchy than the NBA. But, uh, you know, the NFL, they're, you know... The league can, they can't really dictate the outcome, but they can, they can give a little assist here and there. You know what I mean? They can, they can, it's in their power and you can't, some of these calls are just so iffy and 50, 50, uh, that it's, it is really hard to, uh, I don't want to believe that's to take it to the bank. There are at least three, listen, I'll, I'll give the referees a pass on that pass interference on the final play of the game. That happens all the time it probably shouldn't but it always does so I, i'll give them I'll, I'll forget about that one but holding the ball when the giants are trying to spike it like that doesn't happen that's never happened a delay a game on what was potentially a fumble recovery like that doesn't that doesn't happen a blatantly incorrect false start penalty on the giant center like these things don't happen on a regular basis so it is eyebrow raising yeah, the only call that I wasn't pissed about in real time was the the Saquon one at the end. I that is just such like you got guys just running around. Sometimes they're turning around like you're going to collide into each other like that. Bailing somebody out on a on a hail mary attempt and putting them on the one. Yeah, like, listen, it, that ball. Yeah, that ball wasn't getting this one right. anyway. But the one like, before that, like, the, the other pass interference before that. Yes, you know what I mean. Like yes, yeah, I, I'm totally with yeah. you. But that one I wasn't pissed about. But anyway, Dan, happy New Year. We're uh. Yeah. We're, we're slated to pick fifth now in the latest yep. Tankathon rankings. And for the record, that popular site, the uh, Tankathon site, they have Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels all coming off the board in the first four picks. That leaves the Giants to select stud offensive tackle out of Penn State, Olu Fashanu. I ho- hopefully, I'm, I got to learn how to pronounce that name this, this uh, offseason, Dan. But uh, anyway, the popular site, Tankathon, has the Giants going offensive tackle. Kind of feeds into our discussion last week a little bit about should the Giants uh, draft a quarterback or should they fix the offensive line first? We uh, shared our opinions on that last week. Folks could check it out if they want, if they have time. 
during this holiday. Yeah, week. that take went. Um, that conversation went viral, didn't it? <laughs> In what way? I don't know if you happen to see that, but no. that. Uh, yeah, that that got clipped and posted on social media, and boy, oh boy, was there a mixed reaction to, to yeah. those to that conversation? Oh, you mean our little yeah. promo thing? Yeah, and people it, people it, enjoyed that or did not enjoy that? Oh boy, well some enjoyed it, others. <laughs> Others did not like it, and they got quite personal with us yeah, about that that's conversation. Okay. That's okay. You, I live in Minneapolis. If you want to beat me up, come try to find me. You know what I mean? Like that's fine. It's just it's just a it's just an opinion. Um, but you know, here's the thing with the Giants, Dan. They have a great chance to stay in the top five picks because they close the season with the Rams, and they have a rematch with the Eagles. <laughs> and you know, assuming that the refs help the Eagles out a little bit more and keep them in that battle with the Cowboys. Uh, it doesn't feel like the Giants are moving, you know, they're probably moving closer to the fourth pick than the sixth pick, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. they're going to hang around on that number five pick. But uh, let's get into this game against the Rams, shall we? We will get into the matchup here coming up next. First, here's some fantasy advice for the fantasy football championships in a lot of leagues. Check that out. We'll be right back. Maury Bonini of TheHuddle.com here with strong plays for Week 17. If you've made it this far, you're likely playing for a fantasy championship, so best of luck in your bid to secure a title. Quarterback Derek Carr, New Orleans Saints at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Carr has quietly come alive in the last couple of games despite being on pace for his worst fantasy season since being a rookie. He has multiple touchdown passes in three straight games and three in each of the past two contests. Tampa held him to a laughable 6.5 fantasy points on 37 attempts in Week 4. But the Bucks have yielded the 5th most fantasy points per game to quarterbacks on the year. In the last three weeks, this matchup is 26.1% better than average. And the likes of Desmond Ritter and Jordan Love have each topped 22 fantasy points. On the year, Jared Goff, Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, and CJ Stroud all have gone north of 30 against the Buccaneers. Carr is a pretty safe bet for at least 22 to 24 fantasy points. Running back Javante Williams, Denver Broncos versus Los Angeles Chargers. We should see a little more reliance on the running game, with this being a favorable matchup and the benching of Russell Wilson for Jarrett Stidham. The Bolts have allowed backs to average the 8th most yards per game on the ground, and three scores in the last five weeks have come against this defense, including one to Williams in Week 14. The season-long outlook heavily favors the Broncos here. Only eight teams have been softer versus the position, and this is a good matchup for checkdown bonus points and PPR scoring. Wide receiver Curtis Samuel, Washington Commanders versus San Francisco 49ers. Samuel has been a lot of all or nothing in the last two months, going for just three points in the most recent contest. He has only two touchdowns since week six, both of which came in week 15. Fortunately, one of those came from the hand of Jacoby Brissett, who has been named the starter versus San Francisco. The matchup is not terrible, and there's obvious reason to expect the Commanders will be forced into a pass-heavy script here. Consider him a risk-reward wide receiver 3 in deeper playoff leagues, and he's also a nice pivot for a cheap punt play in DFS. Tight end Jake Ferguson, Dallas Cowboys vs. Detroit Lions. Ferguson's role has been impressively consistent with exactly 8 targets in each of the last 4 games. He has a floor of 8.5 PPR points in that time, and that's actually a little more impressive with just one of his last 25 catches going into the end zone. The Lions have yielded tight ends two scores over the last 21 catches granted, which checks in as the 12th highest ratio. The overall matchup profiles quality, but it's also stronger in non-PPR scoring, so keep that in mind. This one could turn into a shootout, which adds a little bit of hope for a bigger day than expected. Happy New Year wishes from everyone on the Huddle staff. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. The Giants hosting the Rams this week, Dan. L.A., a six-point favorite on the road coming into East Rutherford. If, if I have that right, we're recording on a Wednesday morning, so that's the latest line that we've got. We're going to work off of that. 
Uh, the Rams, Dan, one of the hottest teams of football, right? They enter Week 17 with six wins in their last seven games. The one loss was in overtime to Baltimore. I think Baltimore might be the best team at football right now. Uh, and that game was lost in overtime on a walk-off punt return. So, uh, the, you know, really close game. This Rams team is no joke. What do you think about the matchup? It's funny because we've talked a couple times this year where, like, and, and we've actually gotten proven wrong, uh, to be fair, where we're like, what is Vegas thinking? And then it kind of proves to be they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I go into this game again, and I'm looking at the line, and I'm like, hey, I don't know that that's enough. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like, I, I and then I kind of, like, like remind myself, like, you said that a couple times this year, and you've been wrong. So for some reason, you know, Vegas thinks the Giants are going to keep this one closer than other games that – I thought we're going to be closer. So what do I know really? But, you know, looking at it on paper doesn't look good for the Giants. Let's just put it that way. Like, first of all, like, let's just talk about the elephant room, Aaron Donald against the Giants offensive line. Mm -hmm. Anybody have any question on how that's going to play itself out? Because, you know, it's not going to be pretty at all by any stretch of the imagination. And then you've got the Giants secondary, you know, Adoree Jackson's, solid game aside and Deontay Banks actually playing a pretty solid game aside. Um, they're going up probably against more firepower than that they've seen. Um, particularly with the Rams playing as hot as they are right now. So there are a lot of instances where the Rams strength matches up perfectly with the giants weakness. Uh, so again, I look at this spread and go, Hey, you know, maybe that's a little closer than I would think. Uh, I hope Vegas has it right. Um, and it's not a complete annihilation, but you know, it's one of those scenarios where I look at this game and I'm I'm like, are the Giants who are going to have to play firepower offense to keep pace going to be able to just drop back and, and let Tyrod Taylor, who I assume is going to be the starter, let it rip? Like, are they going to have enough time for that to even develop? Mm. Or is this going to be one of those games where they end up giving up 15 sacks? I mean, that might be on the high side, Dan, you know, uh, but yeah, no. Hey, listen, <laughs> they, they, what are they, they, they've given up 11 or 12 a couple times this year. So they, they might get the NFL record if they give up 15. So we'll <laughs> see. Um, yeah. I think what's interesting about this Rams team, you know, obviously they bounced back from a down year in 2022. And I remember when they were signing all those huge contracts, trading all those picks, those first round picks. Remember the Rams were just trading a first round pick for anything. They brought in Matt Stafford. They they were just trading picks all over the place. And I'm just like, this isn't going to work for them. They're going to bottom out. And I was like, ah, you know, waving my fist in the air. And their bounce back in short order has been impressive. And really, it's been from them hitting in the draft in the day two, day three picks, right? Uh, they've they found two guys in the fifth round, Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua, who are two of the best players at their positions as rookies, right? Williams has over 1,000 yards rushing, in just 11 games, they found him in the fifth round. Uh, I mean, he's no joke. He's a really good player. He catches the ball. He's kind of like, you know, Sean McVay is dangerous when he has a running back like that that can do the pass catching, pass protection, and rushing. And he's got it in Kyron Williams. So he's a problem. And then this Nakua kid, I mean, holy crap. Another fifth round pick. Dan, 96 receptions, 1,327 yards, and five touchdowns. One of the most dominant rookie seasons we've yeah. ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for context, Nakua has outgained the Giants' top two receivers, uh, Slayton and Waller, by almost 200 yards all by himself. This rookie, <laughs> and that's not—we haven't even talked about Cooper Cup yet. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this Rams team, to your point, I mean, that's exactly it. They're explosive, they're hot, and they're going to score on you. <laughs> they're going to score on you, and they're going to be tough to handle, and it's going to be hard to 
keep the game close. I think we saw it on Thursday night against the Saints, right? The Saints could not keep that game close early. They were down 27-7 to going into the fourth quarter. And you just you got no shot uh, to keep up with them. So can the Giants do it? Uh, hard to predict they will, right? Uh, one team's coming off yeah, extended imagine. rest. One's not. You know what I mean? It's just not a good spot. We're not even sure who the quarterback's going to be. And meanwhile, the Rams know exactly what they want to do. And again, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, as you said, Sean McVay uh, is a guy you have to mention. The Rams are, are only eight and seven, so they got everything to play for. It does feel like a bad spot for the Giants. Uh, so yeah, the six-point spread is, is one where you look at it and say, I, I automatically like the Rams there, which means that the yeah. Giants will lose by, you know, four, you know, or something like that. You know, that's, that's usually how this works. But yeah, I, I feel comfortable on the Rams side of this uh, just because it's just a tough matchup and I think the explosiveness of the Rams offense, the way they can run it, pass it, their weapons all over the field, the Giants just can't really match that. Uh, and I agree with you. Aaron Donald versus that that offensive yeah. line of the Giants is a scary matchup. So tough one for the Giants. I think the Rams continue to roll in this one. What do you well, think? Uh, yeah, what, what you're going to see is going to be the major problem is, first of all, the Rams are far faster than the Giants. Uh, they're far more explosive than the Giants. But what's going to compound that problem for the Giants is the fact that the Giants can't tackle. The Giants have almost, last I looked, I think they have almost 100 missed tackles this season. It was funny because after the game um, on Monday, uh, Michael Strahan said, I don't think I've ever seen a team or a game where a team missed that many tackles. And it's like, have you been watching this team this year, guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is like a common theme for this team. And it's it, – now, granted, in the middle of the season, it seemed like they kind of fixed that a little bit, started off really bad, they got better, but now they're kind of ending poorly when it comes to tackling, too. So you're going to see an astronomical amount of yards after the catch, like running back screens are going to go for big yards. There's a wide receiver screen that's going to go for big yards. And, of course, there's just going to be the shots down the field, and the Giants simply aren't going to be able to keep pace with this. Like Unless unless Xavier McKinney and, and Jason Pinnock have some kind of miraculous combo game, the likes of which we've not seen in a long time, um, it, it's going to be kind of a rough game for the Giants trying to keep pace with this. And then, of course, like I said, and you noted on the other side of the ball, then they're going to be forced to to throw and they're and you know they're going to have to abandon the run, which is really the only thing they have going for them offensively. Um, so it, it's going to get ugly in a hurry because then they can't protect the passer, which has been an ongoing problem. I think Tyrod Taylor is a little bit more elusive than Tommy DeVito, but you know the Giants have given up 77 sacks this season in 443 dropbacks. So listen, it's not a great percentage as it is, and I know that the Rams as a whole aren't this dominant pass rushing team, but Aaron Donald can destroy a game, and having him go up against the Giants' interior line, which is the weakest part of the unit right now, um, it's just a recipe for disaster up and down and across the board. So I, I think it's going to be a blowout, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah, you talk about the only thing the Giants have going for them is the run game, and it's Saquon. Uh, so I think the topics that we're going to have here as we head into the offseason is now we go back to that old Saquon contract discussion, right? And it's, it seems My, like he's I, got I some the, leverage. <laughs> yeah, well, not just leverage. I think it's at the point now where, look, listen, they can franchise him. Uh, don't know if there was some kind of side agreement that they wouldn't. I don't believe that was the case because I think that would have been written into the amended deal earlier this year. Uh, the question for Saquon is the franchise tag aside, and I know he's always said that he wants to remain a giant for life, but I think maybe this season has taken more of a toll on him than some of the others. And you really do have to wonder with your career essentially winding down, is this the franchise that you want to commit yourself to knowing that your chances for a ring 
are slim to none and that they're essentially entering yet another reset and yet another rebuild, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball where you're really the only stalwart left on this team. Um, you're going to see guys like Sterling Shepard potentially retire. You know, Darren Waller obviously hasn't panned out. Evan Neal, you know, we didn't even get to really talk about him. He's now on injured reserve. A second bad season. Do you have to move him inside? Uh, what do you have at wide receiver? You don't really have anything at this point. You've given up on, you know, Hodgins. You, you've kind of given up on Shepard, obviously. Like I noted, he, he very well may retire. Uh, Jalen Hyatt in the last three games, I don't think his, he's had maybe, what, two targets? Didn't have any on Christmas Day. So what are you doing there? So, yeah, from Saquon's perspective, it's like, do you really want to ride your career out this way? And I, I don't know that that's the case anymore. I firmly believed him all the times he said he wanted to remain a giant for life. But this season, I think it's taken a toll on him mentally more than any other. And it's really going to have to be a look in the mirror moment. Like, do you want to commit yourself to this franchise further at this point? And I got to tell you, I wouldn't blame him if he didn't. Yeah. It's interesting commentary right there. And, uh, Stuff that we'll be getting into, Saquon Barkley, the coordinators, you know, Mike Kafka, Wink Martindale, there's a lot going on there behind the scenes too, Dan, what changes are going to be made. Uh, we'll get into all that here in the coming weeks, but we got two more games left. we got two more games left to cover, so we're going to focus on those for now, Dan. And uh, But I appreciate you showing up every week, man, bringing the noise, bringing the heat, and uh, happy New Year. Riling people all up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you're doing your job, my friend. You're doing your job. I think you could yeah. you you might rile some people up with that Saquon take. I think I might pull that one out for the people on Facebook. I, I like that one. That was a good one. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be nothing but love and respect. I was my way. thoroughly entertained by that. So maybe I'll pull that out and see if people yell at you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, well, it's it's always good stuff. Yeah, everybody have a happy New Year. Hopefully the Giants deliver you a win. I wouldn't hold my breath though. And then uh, you know this is usually Ryan's part, but we'll be back next week to talk recap and the Eagles. I love it when Dan does the outro for me so I don't have to screw it up. We'll talk to you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.